You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. He is risen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20 on this Easter morning. Welcome. If you're new here, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors at Citizens. Thank you for being here. If you're out there in the foyer, welcome. I'm glad you're there. If you're watching online from wherever you are, uh, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. I, I want to start by saying this and just acknowledging something that I think that we all probably know to be true, but um, this is a Sunday, Easter Sunday, is a time when for some p- people who don't usually come to church end up coming to church. And that's for a number of reasons. Maybe it's uh, just the thing that you do every year. Uh, maybe you are seeking, you're looking for answers. Life is difficult or feels empty, and um, something of your life maybe wonders if God is what's missing, and Easter Sunday feels like the right time to come and check that out. Maybe someone in your life uh, regularly pesters you to come to church, and Easter feels like the one Sunday that, that you, can't, you can't say no. Or maybe something crazy happened, and a friend invited you to breakfast, you got in their car, and then you ended up here, right? And... Um, <laughs> If that's the case, that's a great story. But if that's you, uh, we would love to see you again, and we'd love to pray for you. There's what we call a Connect card. You can find that in the back of the seat in front of you, and that's a way to find out information about our church. It's also a way just to to tell us how we can pray for you, which would be our honor to do. But um, what I'd love is I'd love to see you again past today. We love you. We've been praying for you, and I want to tell you a little bit about, about us about what you'd be saying yes to if, if, if you made citizens your home. Uh, we are an incredibly imperfect people. We have a lot of questions about God. We have a lot of questions about life. Um, we get sad like people do. We fight with each other like people do. We have fun like people do. Uh, we hurt like people do. Uh, some of us know what it's, lo- what it's like to feel really lost in a really difficult marriage. And some of us know what it's like to be addicted to something. Some of us know what it's like to feel lonely and like we don't belong anywhere. Some of us know what it's like to be really self-righteous and judgmental and critical of others. Some of us know what it's like to be in a place like this and feel like everyone's judging us. Some of us know what it's like to make a mess of our lives. And some of us know what it's like to feel really empty and to not quite know why. All that to say, here at Citizens Church, you are among imperfect people. We don't have it all together, I promise. We have no boast in ourselves, but as citizens, we believe in a good God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And while we are imperfect, we are loved by and we are holding on to a perfect Savior. His name is Jesus, and our great hope in life is to become like Him because He first loved us. And if any part of you is curious about any part of that or wants to join any part of that, we would love to see you beyond today. We really would. Uh, If, though, this is all that we get and we never see you again, I want you to know Uh, that we are honored that we got to share this Easter with you. Welcome to Citizens Church. Uh, Very simple and wonderful truth this morning. Uh, If Jesus had not raised from the dead, then life would be really, really sad. But in fact, Christ has been raised. That's it. 1 Corinthians 12, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, if you'll look with me. It says, now... If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. I have three children, age 11, 8, 
and almost four. And there's something that's true about every single one of them. All of them get really chatty around bedtime. Uh, and by chatty, I mean this. They, they ask the most important questions at bedtime. They want to have the most important conversations right after we say, go to bed. You try to talk to them about serious things during the day, and they're like, ah, they kind of blow you off, and we don't get very far. But as soon as they are tucked in and the light goes off, it's like, hey, Dad, what's life all about? Or something <laughs> like that, you know? And you know what's happening. They want to stay up. And they're smart enough to know what kind of questions get us to stay and talk. And so Carrie and I, we've just kind of, most nights we've just kind of leaned into that. And um, not every night, but many nights we'll linger and we'll just, we'll just talk with them. And some of the best conversations I've ever had with my kids is after they have manipulated me into talking to them past their bedtime. And one of my children, she likes to ask a certain kind of question. And if I could, could summarize it, it's basically this question what would happen if this wouldn't have happened? Like, what would our life be like if this thing that's really important had never happened? So one time it was, Dad, what would happen if you and Mom had never met? And the follow-up question, which was confusing to me, is she said, do you think Mom would be happier? <laughs> and it's like, for real, go to bed after that. <laughs> And so we would talk about all that would change. If, well, if mom and dad never met, then you and your siblings wouldn't be here. And, you know, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the friends that we have, and we wouldn't live maybe where we live, and, and dad would just be sad all the time. I would not be happier. One time uh, she asked, what would happen if you weren't a pastor? What would happen if you had never become a pastor? And he said, well, we, we, we all probably wouldn't, we wouldn't know all the wonderful people that we know through our church. And uh, we'd name families that we wouldn't have met if I would never have become a pastor. And we probably wouldn't live in Plano, which is a city that we love. And dad would be unemployed because he has no other skills. <laughs> and what would happen if this never happened? It's a conversation that we have with somewhat uh, regularity. Most of the time, it's a good thing. It's, there's this good thing in our life, this thing that we love in our life, this thing that has changed our life. And what would life be like if it wouldn't have happened? And we think, we talk, as we talk about it, it's, it's mostly sad things that would change. It's mostly uh, things that are good that would be missing from our life. And, and as we think about what would change, sometimes it'll make us sad. And sometimes, especially my child, it'll make her really sad. And when I see that sadness on her face, I'll interrupt the conversation and I'll say, hey, you know the good news? I've got news that'll, that'll rescue you from the sadness you're feeling. It did happen. Mom and I did meet, and, and you and your brother and sister are here, and we have the friends we have. And you know the good news? Uh, it did happen. I am a pastor, and we get to know and love all these wonderful people, and we live in a city where we love, and Dad's not unemployed, which is really great. And, and, and this happiness in that moment where it's like, hey, it, it did happen. We're, we're done kind of imagining what it would be like. The reality is it did happen. And in that moment, sadness is interrupted with a, a renewed love for whatever the thing was that we envisioned not having in our life. In that passage that we just read, and where we'll be this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. It's modern-day Greece, and some in that church uh, believe different things about the afterlife than what Christianity teaches. They believe different things in what happens after you die than what Christianity teaches. Many of them believe, like many maybe today believe, that you die and then there's nothing, or you die in their spirit, your spirit goes somewhere, but your body goes in the ground, and, and, and people die and they don't come back to life. That was a, a very Greek idea, and it had made its way into the church, but it's not a Christian idea. And Paul responds and says this, because Jesus rose, we know that those who belong to Jesus will also be resurrected. And the two are so linked together 
The two are so inseparably connected that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And then he spends the next several verses answering this question, uh, imagining what would happen if it didn't happen. What would life be like if, if Christ had not been raised? What would that mean for us? And he asks it three times, if Christ had not been raised, if Christ had not been raised. And in answering what would happen if it didn't happen, he describes a life that is really sad. All the things that are true that wouldn't be true. And he, he names three things that would be true if Jesus didn't raise. Christianity is a lie. Our faith is empty and death is the end. If it didn't happen, what would happen if it didn't happen? Well, if it didn't happen, Christianity is a lie. Our faith is empty, and death is the end. And it all just sounds really terrible and really sad. And it's five or six verses of that sad reality. And almost as if he can see our faces, he interrupts the sadness with the good news of verse 20 and says, but in fact, Christ has been risen. But in fact, he has been raised. It's almost like a father looking at a child and saying, you know the good news? I have good news that'll rescue you from the sadness. It did happen. Jesus did come back to life. And so I just want to have that conversation this morning. What would happen if it didn't happen? And, and maybe for a minute lean into some of the sadness of what life would be like if Jesus didn't come back to life. And then let the sadness be interrupted by the truth that he's alive in, in hopes that this Easter we would be stirred to greater love for and worship of the risen Jesus. Look with me in verse 14. What would happen if it didn't happen? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. If the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity is a lie, and, and anyone who claims it's true is lying. He says our preaching is in vain, and what he means by this is the early Christians, like the, the, the weeks after Jesus rose again, as the church is spreading 2,000 years ago, the early Christians had a one-point sermon. Doesn't that sound nice? And the one-point sermon was this, Jesus rose from the dead, uh, and it wasn't like sentimentality. It was, we saw him. It was an objective claim. It was a historical claim. And because they saw him, because he rose from the dead, what it meant is it meant that everything else that he claimed was true. He was the Savior. Uh, his words were true. He is worth following. And the way they talked about it is what they were doing is they were sharing this news as fact. Mary left the garden. She sees him in the garden. She leaves and she says, I saw him. He's alive. That other disciples uh, hear that and then they see him and they share the same kind of news. And then it says that 500 people saw him before he ascended into heaven. And this became the very heart of the Christian message. And it still is. Jesus rose. Here's something. Um, it's not at least the nature of it. It's not a religious claim that he rose from the dead. It's a historical one. The nature of the Christian claim is that Jesus actually, at a moment in history, came back to life, physically breathed again, walked again, spoke again. My point is this. The early Christians did not go around and say, Jesus is alive. And someone says, no, we saw him die. And the Christian says, well, yeah, but like I feel his presence in my heart. Or they stand in the street like they did and said, Jesus is alive, and the crowd shouts back, no, he was crucified. And the Christian says, yeah, but his words are still with me, like I hold his memory close. That's not what happened. His resurrection is not spiritual sentimentality, like I know he's dead, but, but I have one of the Jesus fish things on my car, and it makes me feel safe when I drive or something like that, right? What they were doing is they were sharing this as a historical claim. They go and they tell people, Jesus is alive, 
And someone responds, no, we saw him die. And then the Christian response is, and then I saw him live again. And so did 500 other people. They stand in the street and they say, Jesus is alive. And the crowd yells, no, we saw him die. And the Christian response is, yes, and then I put my hands in the place where nails used to be. They stand at trial, tortured, beaten, arrested by the same Roman Empire that arrested Jesus. And they say, Jesus is alive. And, and, and Rome yells back and says, impossible, we killed him. And if you say it again, we'll kill you too. And the Christian response is, Jesus is alive. And if you kill me, the very arms of Jesus that you stretched out on the cross will receive me in heaven, and one day I will come back to life just like he did. The very heart of the Christian message is this. Jesus rose. He is not dead. He lives. And that's the truth that got the disciples out of hiding into the streets, into their cities, planting churches, helping the poor, loving the outcasts, enduring persecution, not because he died and they missed him. No, he died, he came back to life, and then he held them and sent them, and loved them, and encouraged them. And here Paul says, that's the only message we have, church. That's the only message we have. It's the thing that matters most, and without it, nothing else matters. What would happen if that didn't happen? Christianity's a lie. Jesus is not worth following. Coming to church on Easter Sunday is just empty. It's not worth doing. If he died and stayed dead, we have no one to follow and nothing worth believing in. It would be like this. What happens if it didn't happen is, um, in A.D. 132, there was a Jewish leader, a Jewish religious and military leader named Simon Bar Kokhba. He led a revolt against Rome and Israel that's known in his history as the Bar Kokhba Revolt. And he won. He beat Rome and, and drove them out of Israel for at least three years. And he secured a three-year period of Jewish independence. It was, it was the only thing that had happened uh, like it for some time. And so, you know what? They called this guy because of what he did? Messiah. They called him Savior. They called him the Christ. The religious leaders, they looked at what he was doing, and they read their Old Testament, and they read the Old Testament prophecies, and they looked at him, and he said, oh, this is the guy. Um, they printed new currency. They printed coins, and on one side of the coin, it had this guy's face on it. On the other side of the coin, it said year one, because they believed the new world had begun. Eternity had begun. He was the Savior. He was the Messiah, they thought. Do you know why? You've never heard of him. You know why you don't call him Savior? You know why you don't read the Old Testament and think of him? Because Rome killed him. He died and stayed dead. And when he died, the title Savior died with him. The claim to be Messiah died with him. And they closed their Old Testament and they say, you know what, we were wrong. He wasn't who we thought he was. How do we know? Because he died and he stayed dead. And that's what happens to Christianity if it didn't happen. If the resurrection didn't happen, a dead Savior is no Savior. A dead Messiah is a false Messiah, especially the one who claimed, like Jesus did, that he would come back to life. If he stays dead, the disciples stay in hiding. They don't write the books we now read. Jesus' sermons are lost forever. The people who thought it's him, he's the one, they close the book and they shake their head. If Jesus dies and stays dead, he isn't who we thought he was, who we hoped he was, who we needed him to be. And he goes down in history as another would-be Messiah, as another religious fanatic who maybe said some good things and maybe helped some hurting people, but he himself was deceived about himself. And so no one founds colleges in his name, and no one starts hospitals in his name, and no one founds orphanages in his name because Christianity is a lie if it didn't happen. How sad would that be? There would be no Easter Sunday. Do you know the good news? You know what rescues us from the sadness? But in fact, Christ has been raised. Jesus is not a liar 
Christianity is true. He died and he lived again. And so the, the one-point sermon from 2,000 years ago is the one-point sermon now. Christ is risen. And you know what that means? Hear this. It means a whole host of things, but there's one really important one, and it might be timely to point this out. Christian, it means that you can trust Jesus. Here's what I mean. The most bold claim he ever made was that he would die and live again. And because that's true, he's trustworthy. And look, we live at a time where it feels like every month some new scandal comes out about someone. Every month some new scandal comes out revealing the true dark life of some religious leader or politician or pastor. And it has a way of making you wonder, is anyone who they say they are? Is anyone true? Is anyone good? Is anyone in any of this for the right reasons? Yes, his name's Jesus. And the only scandal of his life was the scandal of the cross, and he was vindicated the moment his body filled with life again. Jesus is trustworthy. Christianity is true because, in fact, Christ has been raised. Look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If it didn't happen... Our faith is empty. If it didn't happen, we're still in our sins. Here's something. This is what the Bible teaches. If the cross of Jesus is payment for sin, his resurrection is the receipt. The, the proof that Jesus was pure enough to both bear our sin as one who himself was sinless and powerful enough to overcome sin as one who defeats sin's penalty, which is death. And if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, here's what it means about him. All it means is that he was willing to die for sin, but he was unable to defeat it, and it still falls on us. He says we're still in sin, and that makes our faith empty, empty. Maybe we can be honest about something together. Uh, it's Easter. Uh, there is something wrong with all of us, something wrong with all of us, and maybe we call it by different names. I just think instinctively the human conscience knows we're not who we were supposed to be, maybe. Um, and we've all done wrong, but not just have we done wrong, but there's something deeper than our doing wrong about us that is wrong. There's something wrong with us. It doesn't mean that everyone has done everything wrong, but everyone has done something wrong. And we could talk about that wrong as a failure to meet God's standards, and that would be good and right. But we're even more frail than that. We don't even meet our own standards of right and wrong. If we made a list, if we made our own list of rules, like based on the things that we have said or thought that other people should be doing, and then we held our own lives up against our own rules, we would all break our own laws. Some of us, if not all of us, have treated people the exact way we've said people shouldn't treat people like that. And so we think that people should love others, and yet our lives are filled with failure to love. Some of us have been self-absorbed in ways that we judge others for being self-absorbed, so we say, I think people should be selfless, and our lives are filled with all the times that we've made life about us. You know why some of us get so mad at pride when we see it in other people? Because we see ourselves. But anger in so at someone else's pride feels a lot better than honesty about our own. And we say people should be humble, but we fail our own standard of humility. We fail our own standard of right and wrong. And there is not a person in the room that could argue that with honesty. And if we fail our own standard as imperfect people, how much more must we fail a holy God's? There is something wrong with you. Happy Easter. <laughs> There's something wrong with me, deeply wrong with me. And the Bible calls that wrong sin. And, and here's how all of us have kind of maybe made a relationship with that if we don't come to Jesus. There's a few different places in the Bible where sin is described as a garment. 
Uh, It's as if the wrong that we've done and the wrong about us we wear as clothes, as like a filthy layer. There's a messy layer of all of our lives, a broken layer to all of our lives. A few months ago, one of my kids came in from playing outside. They had played for hours, and it had just rained, and so they were filthy. Their, shirt, their clothes were filthy. Their shirt was covered in mud and sweat, and we were about to go to dinner, and this child wanted to wear what they had on. And we said, no, go change. You can't wear that. And they went back into their room, and they came out just a few minutes later, and they had this big, clean, white shirt on, But underneath it, they were still wearing the same muddy, sweaty clothes. And all they had done was put a new shirt over the the filthy one. And then they smiled at us and said, I'm ready. (laughs) And many of us have that kind of relationship to the wrong in our lives. We live our lives like that in relationship to our sin. All of us have a messy layer of our life. All of us have a layer of what's wrong with us and what's broken in us. And and many of us, what we try to do is we simply try to cover that layer by putting on something clean. And we believe that maybe the good I do will outweigh the bad, or maybe we believe that as long as we're better than most, then we're going to be okay. And we just add a clean layer on top of the messy one and hope that no one gets close enough to see or experience the layer I'm ashamed of, the one that's really the truest part of me that I try to hide. And so we add a clean layer of religion or we add a clean layer of helping others, or we add a clean layer of looking really happy on social media, or we add a clean layer of going to church on Easter Sunday. And we know that things are not okay. We know about the messy layer, but we believe as long as no one else finds out, as long as no one else sees. And so instead of honesty, we pretend. And instead of being truly known, we settle for trying to be impressive. And that is an empty, exhausting way to live life. Can I tell you something sad? If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, that's the best we can do. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, that's the best we got. The best we can hope for is adding on enough clean layers and hiding, adding on enough clean layers and fooling those around us. The best we can hope for is to fooling the people in our lives that to, into believing that we're better than we actually are. And if he didn't raise from the dead, you know what we're doing right now? We're all just gathered here to help each other pretend. What we're doing right now is we're all just gathered here to help each other maybe ease each other's conscience or, or, or be fake together. And that's the best we got. And if it didn't happen, we're still clothed in our sin. That's the reality. And we might be able to fool everyone around us, but we can't fool God. He sees all of us. There is no layer of religion or helping others or looking happy that can clean the garment of wrong that I have done and that I wear before the all-seeing eyes of a holy God. How sad would that be? We just... We were perpetually stuck in this cycle of pretending, knowing what's true, pretending to be more than we are. Our faith would be empty. We're still clothed in sin. Do you know the good news? You know what rescues us from that sadness? But, in fact, Christ has been raised. And what it means is it means that he was both pure enough to bear our sin as one who himself was sinless, and he was powerful enough to defeat our sin as one who defeats sin's penalty, which is death. Hear the good news. Hear the good news. Christianity is not a message of positivity. We can do better. Christianity is not a message of exclusivity. We are better than you. Christianity is not even a message of activity. We can help other people. Christianity is a message of victory. Christ defeated sin and death. And because he defeated sin and death, what it means is he is powerful enough to take off the garments of sin and shame and guilt and clothe us in his own love and righteousness and what Jesus does that nobody else does. 
what Jesus offers that you won't find anywhere else is he invites us to bring and to come before him in honesty about the messiness of our lives, the broken layer of our life. Jesus says, come, and we come to him, and, and maybe we try to fool him. We say, hey, look what I'm wearing. I'm ready. Look at this clean layer of religion, and Jesus says, take that off. Okay, well, see this clean layer of helping other people. Look at all the good that I've done, and he says, remove that too. We say, okay, well, see all the things that, that other people have done that, that I've never done. And clean layer after clean layer, we try to convince him. And he pulls that off of us and we stand before him in garments of sin and mess and brokenness. All the things that we work so hard to keep hidden. And Jesus sees it, all of it. And you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, try harder. He doesn't say, pretend more. He says, I see you, all of you, I know you. And then with a kind face and gentle hands, he himself lifts the filthy layer off of you. He dresses himself in your garments of guilt and sin and shame and mess. And wearing all of your sin dies on the cross. He goes in the tomb, and if he stays there, you stay in sin. But, in fact, Christ has been risen. He walks out of the grave, leaving all of your filthy clothes defeated behind him, and then he dresses you in perfect, pure garments of grace and goodness and love. Isaiah 118 says, Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. How do we know? Because, in fact, Christ has been raised. We're not still clothed in sin. We're covered by Jesus. Would you remember something, Christian, on this Easter? We say it all the time. Hear it again. You are not your worst moment. You're not. You're not your addiction. You're not your affair. You're not your pride. You're not your fear. You're not your lack of faith. You're not your self-righteousness. You're not your anger. You're not all your parenting failures. Like the thing that comes to mind when you think of the messiest layer of you, the thing that comes to mind when you think of your worst moment, that is not who you are. You are who God in Christ has declared you to be. How can I know that? Because the tomb is empty. Because, in fact, Christ has been raised, recovered by Jesus. Last one, verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We didn't read it, but in verse 32, he says this, what do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? What does that mean? I have no idea. If the, he says this though, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If Jesus is not raised, if it didn't happen, Christianity is a lie. If it didn't happen, our faith is empty. We're still in our sins. If it didn't happen, death is the end. This is the saddest one. This is all there is. One of the things that has been true about our church in our short years together is that many in our church have suffered in various ways. Um, some have gotten cancer some have lost children, some have lost parents, some have lost spouses, some have been abused, some have been betrayed. It's suffering of all kinds has happened here. And it may sound a bit odd, I don't, I don't mean this in any way to, to make light, but, but one of the joys of my life as a pastor is the time I get to spend with those at our church who are suffering, truly. And most of that is just getting to sit with them and learn from them and marvel at their faith and courage. 
And then sometimes my job is to speak hope. And especially when I don't know what to say in those moments that are especially heavy, that hope comes out of my mouth this way. It won't be like this forever. Jesus is coming. He will make all things right. What Christianity teaches is that the empty tomb is a sign of things to come. It's the very beginning of eternity, the new world. And when Jesus returns, what began in the empty tomb, he will finish all over the earth. And all those who are in Christ will be raised and everything sad will be undone. It won't be like this forever. And there have been times where I've left a space like that. I've been in my car and I've just thought, what would I say if this wasn't true? Like, what could I even offer if this didn't happen? What would I say in those moments? And Paul answers the question. He says, nothing. You have nothing to say. Paul's a man who knows suffering. He says, if it didn't happen, all the friends that we've lost, and he's lost many, all the loved ones we've buried, they're gone, they've perished. If it doesn't happen, you know, he himself has been tortured. And if this life is all that there is, he says, why did I do that? That was pointless. I should have just lived for all the fleeting pleasures that life has to offer. He himself has been threatened with death. And he said what mattered in those moments is whether or not this life is all there is, or is there something more? Is there something that God's doing? Is there something that God's bringing? And if there's not, then words are just empty. I found that to be true as I have been around loss and pain. I think a lot of people, friends, have thoughts about death that sound good when life is good, but fail us when we actually have to deal with death. There's a philosopher uh, named Herbert Fingretti. He taught philosophy at the University of California for 40 years. He's brilliant. He's an author. He's authored several books. One of his more well-known books is a book he wrote on death, and he believed that this life is all there is. There's nothing after death. And so his conclusion about death was basically, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't fear it or worry about it because when you die, there is nothing. So why fear what you won't be around to experience? That was his argument. That's his conclusion. He wrote the book in 1996, 20 years after he wrote the book, he started dying. And at 97 years old, when he was actually faced with death, he said this, it haunts me. He feared it. The man who said, it doesn't matter, it's not worth fearing, in the face of death said, not only am I afraid, I'm haunted by it. And if this life is all that there is, then all we can do is form thoughts about death and pain that sound fine in a book but fail at a hospital. They work in a classroom, but they fail at a funeral. I have held the sick in their last days. I have breathed out prayers with people who only had a few breaths left. And if death is the end, every word of comfort or purpose or meaning is just too thin to carry the heaviness of those moments. There's nothing to say. There's nothing to say to the ones... We have lost. There's nothing to say to the sufferer. Our funerals are all sad and no hope. Our sickness is all pain, no purpose. Our woundedness is all abuse, no justice. If it didn't happen, if he wasn't raised, that's all we've got. How sad would that be? Death is the end. Do you know the good news? You know what rescues us from the sadness? But, in fact, Christ has been raised. 
Verse 20 says it's the first fruits. He means Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning. It's the first taste of what is to come. It's the foretaste of glory divine that's coming in the future. The world that this world is waiting for has begun and will come. And it's a word where, where, where God will right every wrong and God reverses the curse of sin and God recovers what is lost and God heals all wounds and God wipes away all tears. You know, because Jesus rose, one day everything sad will be untrue. And so we get to stand on something this morning. And especially on this Easter Sunday, if you are suffering, if you're missing someone you lost, and this is the first Easter without them even, if you're sick when you thought you'd be better, if pain marks your life and it's great this Easter, I get to look to you and say this, it won't be like this forever. It won't be like this forever. The resurrected Jesus will return. He will make all things right. He will make all things new. It won't be like this forever. Jesus is coming. Hope is coming. How do we know? Because Christ raised from the dead. But, in fact, Christ raised from the dead. And, friends, because he lives, Christianity is not a lie, and Jesus is trustworthy and true. Because he lives, our faith is not empty. Our sin is covered by Jesus. Because he lives, death is is not the end. Jesus is coming. It won't be like this forever. Christ Jesus, our Lord, rose again. Happy Easter, church. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. I thank you for the confidence that we can have that our Savior is not dead, he's alive. And I wonder... Spirit of God, if you would be so kind as to appropriate your word into the hearts and lives of my brothers and sisters this morning, my friends. For the, for the person maybe on this Easter Sunday that just needs the confidence of the truth of Christianity to settle on their heart and fight away some doubt. For the person who needs to know in a world where it just feels like everyone has failed, is broken, and so much of maybe what we could put our hope in has proven to be not true. I just pray that the empty tomb and the resurrection power of Jesus would fall on that heart as confidence, that we can trust you, Jesus. You're not a liar. Maybe, God, for the person who just needs confidence that I can be fully seen by God and fully loved at the same time, that the resurrection hope of Jesus would fall on their heart would invite them to be honest about the places of them that are most broken, and, and then that brokenness would be met with forgiveness and grace and love because, Jesus, you rose again from the dead, which means you can cover over all of our sin. For the one God who feels the ache of the day, that the room is full of celebration, but their heart is full of sorrow. I pray that the resurrection power, the confidence that it won't be like this forever could settle on that heart and do what only you can do, God, and make space for both sorrow and hope at the same time. We love you. We need you. Amen.